Amen. Amen. Yeah. Do me a favor and try to find a Bible. Um, there should be some down by your feet in baskets, and we're going to be in Psalm 88. It's on page 478 in the Bibles that we have here. And we're in a series right now. It's uh, not a fun one. Um, anxiety, depression, and suffering. And so this morning we were talking about depression. And so we'll pray in just a moment. We'll ask for some extra help, and we'll um, ask that God would use this time to instruct his people. Um, Psalm 88, we'll start in verse 1. Uh, actually, we'll start with the heading, which is a part of the scripture, by the way. So we'll read the heading, and then I'll, I'll march us through the text, and we'll pray for, for help. Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, for the director of music, according to Mahalath Leonath, a maskil of Haman the Ezraite. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead. I like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors, and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. You've taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Let's pray. God, we want to hear your voice this morning. We, we know that depression is a reality that many of us face and struggle with, and we ask, God, that by your Spirit you would minister to our hearts today, that you would help us. We pray, God, that you would strengthen us and that you would help us to see your awareness of our struggle and your desire to come alongside of us and minister to us. And we pray, God, that as a church we would be a place where struggling, suffering, people who are dealing with depression can come and be real. Lord, we, we just commit this time to you and ask that you would have your way with it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do five lessons on depression from Psalm 88. There are many things that we can learn here from this text, but we're going to do five different things that I think are right there on the, on the surface that are very important for us. And the first one is that depression is in the Bible. There was a study that was done by a church marketing group, and they were asking people, it was on Facebook, so they were simply asking, you know, what do you think about the church? And so they got a, you know, a bunch of different answers, a bunch of different responses, and some of the people responded that they don't spend a lot of time at church because they feel that the church isn't great at addressing real issues, that the church has a tendency to kind of minimize 
stuff that people are really dealing with, and, and we don't talk about it. We don't create a, a safe place to have that discussion, and so they brought that up. And specifically, they brought up mental illness and depression. And a lot of people were suggesting that's not something that the church does a great job with, and so therefore, I don't even enjoy going to church. But what I want to show you here this morning is that depression is in the Bible. It is something that God addresses. It is something that he's aware of, that he knows the inside workings of it, and he's aware that it happens, and he has given us this psalm and many others like it to help us understand that that feeling, that feeling of darkness and despair, is not something that is hidden from God. He's very aware of it, and in fact, he gives us words to help us process what what it's like. Psalm 88 is, is, is language of the depressed. I was reading a book by Ed Welsh. He's a biblical counselor, and he wrote a book called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness, and he was talking as a biblical counselor of how to be helpful. And one of the chapters, it was kind of a bizarre chapter because I would say probably 90% of it was simply quotations. It was quotations from people who are dealing with depression, whether they are counselees that he had spent time with or people who publicly admitted to their depression and wrote about it. But over and over again, all these different paragraphs in this chapter are revealing the heart condition of what it's like to be somebody who deals with depression. And as I was reading it, I couldn't help but feel like I was reading an echo of Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is an expression, obviously, of an individual who is in despair. he's, He's expressing, God, where are you? You're my God, and I believe that you can bring about salvation, but I feel like I'm in the pit. I feel like death. I feel like the walking dead. I feel like you're absent. And over and over again, that's how he speaks. Let's look at a few different examples from from the text. Verses 3 and 4, I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. He's saying, look, when I look at my life, I don't feel strong. I don't feel vigorous. I don't feel healthy. I feel like I'm one without strength. I feel like I'm in a pit. I feel like I'm in darkness. I feel like I'm drawing near to death. Look at verse 5. It says, I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. I feel like I'm in a tomb with other dead bodies, and I don't experience your care, that I'm cut off completely from you. Verses 6 and 7, you put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths, Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. I feel like I'm getting crushed by the waves over and over again, and all of them are overwhelming to me. Whenever I'm by an ocean, I like to pretend that I know how to surf. I don't. But I'll go out there, and sometimes I'll get myself in a situation I shouldn't be in. Uh, I can ride boards sideways. I can ride a lot of different things, but I can't gracefully lay on a board and swim around. So I'll get out into the surf, and, and there have been a couple times where the waves are, are too strong and too powerful, and I'll get, I'll get smoked, and I'll be tumbling a, along the bottom of the ocean, and then I finally get my bearings, and I come up to the surface, and what do I find? Another wave, right on my head, breaking on me again. If it happens three or four times, you begin to wonder, am I going to survive this? Am I going to be able to have enough oxygen and breath in me to be able to make it out of this thing alive? That's a lot like depression where you come up for air and that moment you think, I'm okay, boom, the next wave hits you. And it's just over and over and over again. And that expression is here in Psalm 88. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me 
with all your waves. Verse, verse uh, 8 and 9, it says, You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. It's, he's just saying, look, I'm broken. I'm a broken individual. And as we read this, the first point we're making is depression is here. It's in the Bible. And this is very important for us because if we think that depression is like a foreign object in Christianity, that it doesn't belong here, we're sorely mistaken. Depression is something that God is aware of, and we need to set our expectations on it that we, we understand that God is both aware and speaks very candidly to it. I love that the Bible is real. Some people skip this psalm because they don't like it. Where's the happy ending? Come on, darkness is my closest friend. The end. That's it. Where's the, where's the hope? Where's the, you know, come, you know God's going to swoop in and save the day. But it just is this very dark, very honest, very real articulation of the, the human heart. And so we need to be aware of that because if we treat church like a place where depression doesn't belong, we're going to do a lot of harm. There are going to be people who come in here who feel broken and then don't feel the permission to even be broken and have to pretend that everything's okay when it's not when it's clearly not. But God, on the other hand, he doesn't whitewash this thing. He addresses it head on. He speaks to it. He gives language to it. He helps us to understand. In his word, he is aware of what brokenness looks like and feels like. So for us as a church, we need to be a place where people are safe, where you can come in here and you can say, Core, this is what's going on. And I just feel hurting and desperate, and I feel broken, and it needs to be a safe place where you can say that to me or other members of the church, and you just feel this permission to, to lay it all out there and to be honest, where you don't feel like you have to come in here and perform and pretend and make it look like you've got everything all together. The reality is we're broken, and we need to have a safe place for us to be broken together. The Bible does that for us. It is aware of depression. It speaks very candidly to it. So our first point is that depression is in the Bible. The second point that we need to learn is that believers can and do experience depression. If we think that as believers we're immune or insulated from hurt and pain and depression and things like that, we set ourselves up for being doubly disappointed we, because believers can experience depression. Look at the very first verse there. Um, it, it, it's language of a person of faith. Verse 1 says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry to you. This is somebody who's dealing with God by faith, and then he goes on to outline 17 different verses where he's saying, but, but I, don't, I don't feel that. I know that you are a God who saves, but this is the reality of my experience. It's very broken, very dark, and very desperate. But people who are Christians can and do experience depression. Now, some of us think, well, what if I were a better Christian? What if I were, were further along in my faith? What if I was, you know, just, just better in general at this thing? Wouldn't that help me out? Wouldn't that, you know, make me less likely to have to deal with these issues? But the guy who wrote this, we find out his name in the introduction in the little heading of the psalm. His name is Haman, and as it turns out, he's actually a worship leader. He's somebody who's up here singing for the people of God. You can read about him in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, where David is 
he's organizing the, the activities that are going to go on in the temple, and he's saying, okay, and he's naming all these different people, okay, you guys are going to be the vocalists, you're going to sing and make melody to the Lord, you guys are going to be the instrumentalists, you guys are going to do these different things and play these different instruments, you guys, and he's arranging and organizing all of that, and in that list, we find Haman, we find him in First Chronicles 16, verse 41, with them, with everyone else, were Haman and Jeduthun and the rest of those chosen and designated by name to give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Haman and Jeduthun were responsible for the sounding of the song. He's a worship leader. He's somebody who's accustomed to the things of God, who's familiar with the presence of God. Being on stage doesn't make him insulated from this experience. If we think we just need to be better Christians, and then we won't have depression in our lives, we're sorely mistaken. We can be very far along in our faith and feel the darkness and feel the pain and feel the depression. There's a guy named Dr. John Coe, and he did some study on spiritual formation, how people grow in their Christ-likeness, and he did it by looking at depression. And he saw this connection that throughout church history, many people have written on this. Many people understand this. Christians throughout the ages have describe this experience where John of the Cross puts it like this. It's the dark night of the soul. That believers will go through a season, whether it's a day or whether it's a year or whether it's multiple years, many believers will go through a season called the dark night of the soul, where they feel like God is absent. And he was looking at that and showing that, man, there's a correlation here, and God actually uses it to help develop people and grow people and he was looking at all these different experiences, and, and um, it's that experience of darkness. Let's look at it in our text here. In verse 6, it says, You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. John Coe would, would say this is the language of somebody who's going through the dark night of the soul. Verse 14, Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? This is the language of the dark night of the soul, where you feel the absence of God. And what Dr. Coe pointed out was that most people have this experience. When they first become Christians, do you guys remember this? When you first became a believer, there was this thing where God was consoling you. Consolation, where you, you like everything you did was exciting. Like you become a Christian, you start reading your Bible, you're like, no way! And you have to tell people, this is crazy, did you hear this story? I heard it in Sunday school, but this is insane. And you begin to share it with other people. And you want to tell other people about it, and everything's thrilling and exciting, and there's this reality that God feels very real to you and very present to you, and he's consoling you. But Dr. Coe points out that many people later on in their spiritual pilgrimage, they go through the dark night of the soul, where it's not consolation, it feels like desolation. It feels like God is gone. It feels like God is absent. It feels like you cry out into the sky, and nobody is there, and nobody's listening. And he's saying many have gone through this, and God often uses that to develop a deep faith, a lasting faith, a trust in God, and not just in what God can do for you, but this deep faith. And many Christians go through that. I was surprised to find out Mother Teresa, if you're familiar with her, a very famous believer, doing ministry in Calcutta, doing ministry to the untouchables, the unlovables, and, and, and doing that for a long amount of time. And after she passed away, her prayer journals were, were released. And, and uh, one of the surprising features about her journals is that when she talked about how she felt on the inside, she described it as darkness and the absence of God. Many people go through this. I'm trying to suggest that depression is something that Christians can go through. So if you're dealing with it, don't be embarrassed by it. 
It's something that a lot of people go through, and what we need to do then is to become familiar with it, talk openly about it, and get the help that we need. Let me read to you from Michael Wilcock. He wrote a commentary on Psalm 88, and he puts it like this. This darkness can happen to a believer. This psalm says, it doesn't mean that you're lost. This darkness can happen to someone who doesn't deserve it. After all, it happened to Jesus. That doesn't mean that you've strayed. This darkness can happen at any time as long as this world lasts, because only in the next world will such things be done away with. This darkness can happen without you knowing why, but there are answers, there is a purpose, and one day you will know it. Darkness happens in the lives of believers. Depression is something that believers can and do go through. Number three, depression invites us to pray. It's something that the, the, when, when we're going through that dark night of the soul, we should be quick to talk to God about it. That's what Haman does here. In Psalm 88, he prays over and over and over again, even though he feels that no one is listening. Look with me at verse 2. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Verse 9 puts it like this. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. There's this habit. He's got this routine of I'm going before the throne of God and I'm asking him and I'm talking to him and I'm sharing my heart. Verse 13, but I cry to you, Lord, for help. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Every day, I'm waking up and I'm bringing this before you again and I'm saying, God, I feel broken. I feel desperate. I feel an absence of you. Where are you? And over and over and over again, he continues to pray. We need to be people who when we're going through this season, the invitation to pray becomes real, and we talk to God about it. And, and how we talk to God, by the way, can actually look pretty sketchy. If you're reading this, and I tried to read it this way at the beginning, you, re you realize Haman is, is kind of being disrespectful in the tone that he's taking. As you look at some of the questions that he's asking, can the dead praise you? Can the spirits of those who, who have died rise up and give you glory? He's, he's, he's asking these really hard questions because he's just being honest. He's revealing his heart. And, and one of the things that we have to be aware of is that God is a big enough boy to handle the frustrations of our heart. When we pray, we don't have to feel like I have to edit all of the content so that it's appropriate. When we pray in the season of darkness, we can use the honest language of our hearts. It might sound disrespectful, it might sound snarky or sarcastic. Derek Kidner, in his commentary, puts it like this, the very presence of these prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. God knows how men speak when they're desperate. We don't have to think, I need to polish up my language and make sure that I'm speaking to God in an appropriate way. We can ask the hard questions, where are you, God? What is going on? Why is it like this? And we can even be snarky and say, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. In fact, isn't that what happened to Job? If you've read the book of Job, an individual loses everything, and he's praying, and he's praying in a very desperate way, and he's frustrated, and he's angry, and his friends try to comfort him, but what do they say? Come on, dude, clean up your language. That's not really how God works. You must not understand him. You've done something to deserve this. And over and over again, Job is saying, no, I know my own heart. I know this situation. He continues to talk to God, and they keep saying, dude, you need to, you need to be careful how you speak. And Job says this. Be, he's talking to his friends, and he goes, are you really going to take my words, my desperate words, and treat them as in insignificant? God doesn't do that, right? If this is what Haman is saying, couldn't God have edited this out of the Bible? Like, 
okay, this is my word, dude. You can't really talk like this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to clean this up for you. No, it's just this over and over and over again, and then it ends on the sour note, and God doesn't go, yeah, I'm embarrassed by that psalm. No, he puts it out there, and he goes, no, this is really what it feels like. This is how we talk to God when it hurts, and God is okay with that. We need to be people who pray like that. We need to also be people who are gentle on others. When people are struggling, let's not coach them up and tell them, you know, give them lectures and say, yeah, this is what's going on. This is why you need to do these, these different things. I, I, I remember um, a few years ago when I was praying about transitioning out of student ministry. It was hard. Uh, I, I was struggling with it. I was thinking through it. I had no idea what the next step was going to be, but I met with a local youth pastor, and I was just kind of sharing my heart and just kind of spilling everything out there, going, yeah, this is what I've been praying about, and this is what I feel drawn to, and church planting has always been something on my mind, but, you know, when I look at my timeline, when I look at my story, I begin to wonder if I'm really even cut out for it, and I'm just sharing all of this stuff, and just, I don't, I don't have firm convictions about anything in that moment. I'm just kind of saying, this is what's going on, and then he begins to speak. And it, was, it, it just stunk, because basically he said, yeah, you shouldn't do that. And what you're saying, I hear what you're saying, but here's what you really need to think about. And what he was saying was true and helpful, but I, I came out of that meeting and I felt like I wasn't heard. I wasn't heard. The, I was spilling my heart, trying to be honest, trying to be candid, trying to be real, and I wasn't really heard, I was just corrected. And then the very next morning, I woke up and I started reading my Bible and I came across the words of Job in Job 6, verse 26. He says, do you mean, he's talking to his friends, do you mean to correct what I say and treat my desperate words as wind? How often could people say that of us? When they're going through a hard time and they want to confide in you and they're bearing their soul and they're saying, I don't know what's going on here and it hurts and it stinks and, and I'm just trying to feel God out and I don't even know what he's doing right now. How often do we offer up words that basically say, you don't know what you're talking about. Let me try to help you out. Let me try to interpret this for you. As a church, as Christians, we should be willing to just listen. Instead of treating someone's desperate words as wind, let's just listen to their heart. Even if it sounds a little iffy, we don't need to be the police going, you shouldn't say that to God. Let's just listen and be real. Depression calls us to pray. It invites us to be honest about our hearts and to speak to God. And as a church, when people are praying in that way, we should be comfortable just letting them wrestle with God. It's part of the process. They're wrestling with God in prayer. Depression calls us to pray. Here's the fourth point. Depression points us to the gospel. The fact that we feel broken and we feel sad and we feel darkness, there's this intuition then that says, that's not how it should be. I should be whole and I should experience light and I should experience the presence of God. Depression reminds us that God is real and he's made us for himself, but depression helps us then to have this hope in God and we should be like Haman Look at verse 1 again. It says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. We need to be people who are willing to preach the gospel out loud even when we're having a hard time believing it. You are a God who saves. And my situation stinks and I feel broken and I feel desperate, but I'm going to keep rehearsing that you are Savior because I know that to be true. And as we think about this psalm, it's also located in a big book called the Bible that reminds us this is not how it's always going to be that God is aware of our struggle, 
but he's done something about it. That depression is a reality that we face, but, but God has devised a plan to bring us back into harmony with him so we would no longer be saying, God, where are you? God, I have no idea what's going on right now. I can't even sense your presence. Why have you turned your face from me? God has done something in the sending of his son to bring us back into harmony with our maker so that we could say, I know God. He is my God and I am his person and he loves me. So depression points us to the gospel. My professor at Trinity, the Old Testament professor, Willem Van Gimmeren, he, he was looking at this psalm and he goes, you know, there's a reason why the church has tied this with Good Friday. There's a reason why throughout the history of the church, on Good Friday, the day where, where we think about Christ going to the cross, the church, many churches, will read that, this passage. And he, what he was suggesting is the language of Psalm 88 is also the language of Christ from the cross. The brokenness that Haman experiences here really points to the the experience that Christ had when he was going to the cross. So Haman puts it like this in verse 14. He says, Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? And he really doesn't know. He doesn't understand. God, what are you doing? Why, why can't I sense you right now? Why can't I feel you? Why can't I experience your presence? And he doesn't know. He doesn't have the curtain drawn back to be able to see all that's really going on. But there is one who did know why it all happened that way. And when he prayed that same prayer, Matthew 27, verse 44. He understood full well, here's, here's why God is turning away. Here's why God's face is hidden. It's because he is punishing sin. It is because he is on the cross, on Jesus, he is exhausting the wrath that is due to us. So Jesus prays the same way, and he's saying, I understand what's going on here. Psalm 88 points to Matthew 27, 44, where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Christians, we are people who, when we are suffering, we can look and point to and say, our Savior went through this. He was willing to go to the cross and see his Father turn away from him so that I could be brought back together with them. What a beautiful reality. Depression points us to the gospel. It reminds us of the good news that God is at work in the world. He's drawing us to himself through his Son. The depression that we experience is not permanent. It's not something that we will face for all of eternity. We might experience it for the rest of our earthly pilgrimage, but God is going to do something where we will now be able to see God's face because of what Jesus was able to do. Number five, depression invites us to sing. It's kind of a weird thing, but we need to be people who learn how to sing out our sadness. That we can sing together with the people of God in a way that honors the experience that we're going through. Let me point it out to you. It's actually in the heading of the psalm. It says, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music, according to this tune of sadness, really, written by so-and-so. It's saying this is something that we need to sing together. This kind of language is something that we actually need to be able to raise our voices about and sing about. The church needs to be a place where it's not always happy and clappy, but sometimes we have these moments where we're broken and we're able to sing that out loud. One of, one of my favorite bands is called Page CXVI. And it's a small band, but what they do is they take hymns and then they make them more contemporary. And Page CXVI, it's a Roman numeral, and it actually comes from one of C.S. Lewis's books. 
And on page CXVI, I don't remember which book it was, but there's, there's a portion in the story where Aslan, the, the Christ figure, the lion, is singing. And it's on page CXVI. And as he's singing, he's singing the new creation into existence. And so this band, they take these old songs and they kind of redo them so that the modern church can sing along with them. And uh, one of, this, one will, this one's very devastating, but, but one of my favorite ones is actually a song that I learned in Sunday school. And I think, you know, some of you guys have been to Sunday school, so you'll know what I'm talking about. But it's a song that goes like this. I've got the joy, so I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. So in Sunday school, you've got all these kids, you know, doing the ho, you know, the hoedown thing, and they're getting all excited. I've got this joy, and I'm so happy, so very happy, and everyone's singing together, and all the kids are, you know, dancing around and clapping and doing their thing. Page CXVI, when they redid that song, they did it to this, they did it to a tune like this, where it wasn't happy. I highly recommend it to you. You can hop on YouTube and just search it, page CXVI, Joy, and have some tissues on hand, but, but it's, it's not this up song. It's just down. And there's a part where she's singing, and it's just, the lead singer is just kind of scream singing about fighting for joy, fighting for happiness, fighting for this reality that seems so distant to her. As a church, we have to be a place where we can sing out our sadness. We have to be a place where we can be honest about how we feel, and we even create time in our services to do that, to sing about the reality of darkness and how God is at work in our world. We're about to do that in just a moment. In fact, I'll invite the band to come back up, and we'll sing, we'll sing out our sadness, and Melody will lead us through a reflection on some of these lyrics that we're about to sing together, but, but we need to create a, a safe place for us to process what it feels like to live in a fallen and broken world and to have our hearts be riddled with anxiety and depression and darkness. So while they get set, let me just remind you of, of where we've been. We've been talking about depression and some of the lessons that we can learn from Psalm 88, and we see that depression's in the Bible, God is aware of it. He's, he's very aware of it. And we, we found out, too, that Christians can and do go through it, that we are people who aren't immune to the idea of depression, but we often go through it. We've been invited to pray when we experience these seasons. God wants us to talk to him. He wants us to be honest. He wants us to be real with him. And he's made that possible. We see that depression points us to our Savior, we, it draws us to the Son of God who is doing something about how we feel and doing something about the brokenness in this world. And finally, we get to sing together. And so let me pray, and then Melody's going to lead us into the song. Lord, would you help us to be honest about how we feel? And would you make this a safe place to address the struggles of the heart, the brokenness, the despair, the feeling of distance from you, God? And would you make us a community that, that actually excels at coming alongside of one another and encouraging and, and helping each other grow in godliness and grow in our confidence that you're real and that you love us. And so, Lord, as we sing here in just a moment, would you help our voices to be sincere, that in the midst of brokenness, we can sing and we can, through our singing, preach the gospel. We can preach the new heavens and the new earth into existence. 
Lord, would you help us to do that right now in Jesus' name? Amen.